0: Welcome to Job Tales, I'm Laura Leoncini and this is the podcast where you listen to professional stories from all walks of life and find the job that suits you. Today we talk to Victor Dorribo, Occupational Physician and Aeromedical Examiner. If you want to know how you can specialize after your medical studies, stay tuned for the next 25 minutes. Victor Dorribo, your Occupational Physician and Aeromedical Examiner. What a full title. Very exciting. Uh, It's funny also the way we met because it's a a common friend who introduced us and then (laughs) actually got to meet you before then (laughs) during an aeromedical examination, which is amazing. So let's start from there. What do you do as an aeromedical examiner?
1: As an aeromedical examiner that I am since uh, 2017, I receive in my uh, consultation pilots that need to uh, renew their medical uh, license so their me- medical certificate for class 1 meaning professional pilots class 2 EASA that are private pilots and also atcos air traffic controllers ah, so air traffic that's control. okay. yeah that's basically the most uh, m- most of the consultations are those uh, three populations and there is also cabin crew coming to see me uh, for the same reasons, because all these people have uh, uh, high demands and environments. So all those all those people have high demands environments, and there are legal requirements for them in terms of health.
0: Mm, okay, so they must pass an exam every other, I you don't know, year or or more.
1: Yes, the frequency depends of, of your age, but you're basically submitted to an initial examination and then a periodic examination.
0: Mm. What is it that you check on them?
1: Lots of things. <laughs>
0: you see. <laughs> is it a secret? Yes.
1: No, it, it's no secret. that That's the fun part of that because um, it, it's really an open process. So, for example, for Europe, EASA, which is the European Agency for Aviation Safety, EASA makes what is called implementing rules. This is basically a, a, an European legislation that then needs to be applied in all the countries that ratified the um, the european convention and then after the implementing rules there are accepted means of of compliance and then there are lots of uh, small requirements so those texts are freely available and you have to go by the book there's no way to uh, to uh, do an examination where you uh, yeah that that is not objective so you need to when you examine someone and you see something and this person has a condition, then it uh, triggers something in the law that, that is okay. The condition and or the medication is compatible with the safe exercise of the license mm-hmm. or it is not. And if it's not, what are the conditions needed for this person to comply with the requirements or there are no ways. No no ways to comply. And then this person is unfit for the use of a license. So that's basically the process. And uh, we do a head-to-toe examination. So a vision, hearing, a neurological examination, cardiovascular examination. When it's needed, we also do a laboratory check. Sometimes research for psychoactive substances.
0: Of course, if you're high, you, you shouldn't yeah, be flying. you shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> makes sense <laughs> it makes sense
1: but there's no mystery in, in that
0: so psychological examination as well
1: yeah, yeah especially since uh, you have heard about the German wings accident hmm. in the French Alps um, a few years ago that triggered um, yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and that triggered lots of questioning about uh, the way those examinations were conducted and the way information was exchanged between the ames and the and the authorities and the way this circulation had to uh, to travel not to travel and what measures should be made should be put in place in order to avoid another incident like this mm. because after every accident incident there's an implementation of new measures you 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 know that uh, the same applies for i don't know for, for flight safety uh, in terms of uh, cabin intrusion or, or, or flight deck intr- intrusion, you know, someone yeah. goes goes into a cabin with an axe, <laughs> and, <laughs> and and so and so then th- there is an incident report, or where um, uh, legislators decide, okay, so now it's forbidden to have access to uh, to the cockpit to everyone. We should have uh, a. a <laughs> a door that doesn't open and is axe proof so basically the same applies to um, medical examinations
0: yeah okay well also trying to get an axe through security might be a little bit difficult (laughs) especially already you can't have like a bottle of water go through security when you but anyways I see the point and and Mm -hmm. so you know coming back to your job because it's it seems to be a very specific, like a specialization of what you do when you, you know, from when you start as a general practitioner or a doctor. You know, going when if I think back of your studies in medicine, what, what was your background and how did you grow from from studying medicine into becoming an aeromedical examiner?
1: Actually, the aeromedical examiner part of my job is a small part, but to do these aeromedical examinations, you need a basic and advanced training in aviation medicine. So there are uh, some institutions in Europe that provide this kind of of training. You need to be a clinical um, examiner before, so general practitioner or as I am, uh, for example, an occupational physician. So you need to have experience with patients. And then you need to be familiarized with, with all the regulations that are in place for EASA and or for other countries. If you if you choose to be, for example, an FAA-approved medical examiner, because that's my counterparts in the US or in Canada, uh, they have uh, local legislations that apply for their pilots, they're mm. basically kind of the same, but then you have differences in the, uh, in all the processes that uh, and the specifications and the kind of um, tests that you need to have in your office for sight, for hearing, and, and so on. People are so the same. So you can
0: practice basically only in Europe with your specific training or can you also in the U.S. or other countries?
1: Now, basically, you, you can have a practice that is in all of Europe, and then you have sometimes uh, like satellite uh, doctors. I need to explain that. Mm-hmm. For example, you have here in Switzerland, for example, or in other countries of Europe, you have because if you think about commercial pilots, they they fly a lot, and uh, sometimes you need to have a license and a medical certificate that is valid and you have what is referred to as an licensing authority so in switzerland licensing authority is the the foca the federal office of civil aviation and they are under easa rules but a few physicians are also allowed to perform faa examinations and that is useful for example for uh, pilots that have that have long haul and that, that stay in Europe for a long time, or that fly under um, American in American airspace uh, for a long time, and and that need American compliant um, cert- certificate. So we have the, those American compliant doctors that are based in Europe, and the opposite is also uh, is also possible.
0: Okay, to finalize this in in each region. So why the choice? of huh. examiner do you love to fly
1: I loved to fly <laughs> used <laughs> <Because> to <laughs> I used to fly I used to fly I I wanted to uh, when I was uh, when I was a, a kid I wanted to be a doctor a pilot and uh, a musician so I, I think I basically scored one and, and, and a few percent <laughs> of the others um, and <laughs> so uh doctor is checked musician yeah i kind of uh, like yeah kind of uh, use guitars from times from time to time and i had a ppl license or private pilot license a few years uh, ago beautiful and my my occupation so my my, my job was um occupational medicine mm-hmm. so testing f- for the medical fitness for people for certain occupations was my basic training. And then you have this really specific occupation that is being a pilot or being an air traffic controller, which is really, yeah, really demanding and Mm -hmm. really specific. And that also um, requires from people not in terms of, yeah, because you always think about pilots or cabin crew in normal operating conditions, but what you have to think about is those people responding to an emergency. So an air, depressur- an, an air depressurization in the cabin, a forced landing, either on land or water. Those people have to be the first responders. They have to evacuate the plane in 90 seconds. Um, they have to to have good sights. They have they need to have to uh, to have um, a good fitness. Sometimes they re- they need to rely on their own, and you don't think about those persons or or those cabin crew in those situations. You you see them as uh, you know the, the people that try to sell you. Uh, the you think about cabin crew personnel as those people that try to sell you um, the duty free merchandising, but mm-hmm. they they yeah. have. They have uh, this uh, huge background and training that they need to maintain, and they need to be in good shape for all those uh, situations that uh, we as passengers don't like.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I see. And so, because we're job tales, which were, you know, people listen to podcast episodes about. People about their professional stories, and so that they can find a job that suits them. What is it that you would recommend? Like, is it a, a good career to take from you know having studied medicine? Because that's that's for sure. You need to study medicine to start anything in in that in that career. Is it interesting? Is it um, demanding? Is it challenging? What you do, and how would you recommend it?
1: It's interesting, but it's there are. Specialized centers that do that. Uh, Usually um, you have doctors working in uh, that are aeromedical examiners working for companies in their medical centers, like for example, Swiss, Lufthansa, other huge companies. But otherwise, it's it's mostly a small specialization that is part of your occupation. And so what I would recommend or, or something that I discovered is that Either you are employed by those companies and it's a 100% job or it is part of your practice, which is my case, actually. So you need something else to rely on. Yeah, you need to have a specialization and then do this as a as a cherry on the cake. Yeah, um, but with your, all the seriousness, yeah.
0: Can you give me some examples of actually companies that hire you to do this 100%?
1: Lufthansa, Swiss...
0: Ah, so airlines. Air France, they...
1: airliners, they have their own... Uh, Big okay. airliners have their own uh, um, medical service.
0: Okay, with examiners and all that. Exactly. Okay, okay. But I find that this it, it is actually a nice cherry on the cake and uh, it enriches your your basis as an occupational physician. Can you tell me a little bit more about that job, you know, as an occupational physician, you? What do you do?
1: So this other job... What what I do is actually I um, you you do consultations and consulting is if I can if I can summarize that so in your consulting part you your company uh, you know you have employers that need to have their health risks assessed for the company so do my processes endanger my employees either physically psychologically chemically so you 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 can accompany those companies uh, with your ris- with, with their risk assessment so um, in in Switzerland at, at least it's mandated for some companies to have a health specialist either a doctor or a physicist or depending on on the on the risk of the processes mm-hmm. and that's for the consulting part and then for the consultation part you have to, like three major types of consultations you have Medical fitness consultations. So that's medical consultation where you see people. And as for the AME activity, so those persons have a demanding job, for example, firefighter, uh, police people, you have uh, um, drivers, professional drivers, uh, people working within or at the side of railways. And so they have, they need to have a physical and a psychological fitness for those occupations. So you test them. So that's for the medical fitness part. Then you have the medical follow up of people that are exposed to specific risks. Uh, for example, people that remain exposed to chemical agents or to physical dangers such as uh, radiation, noise, cold, and so on. And you and and you need. Regular follow-up for those mm-hmm. people in order to detect early manifestations of health effects of their job exposure. So basically, it's um, what we call a secondary prevention because uh, the, the better prevention is of course not exposing people. <laughs> 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 then comes the then, then comes the all all the, the means the employer puts in place in order to limit the exposure. That can be more frequent shifts, more. Uh, Protective equipment that can be also, uh, for example, for chemical substances, more ventilation, aspiration. So, when all this is, is put in place, then comes uh, and and the and the exposure remains. Then you have to check those people for early manifestations in order to take them away or put them into the um, uh, medical uh, circuit in order for them to get treatment and or compensation. And the third part, uh, and the third kind of um, consultations we we do as an occupational physician is the um, helping people stay at their work or go back to work. That is not as insurance doctor would do, for example, but it's more when people have long absences and um, functional limitations, such as not being able to lift weights or to work for a long time and and knowing the, the processes of the company and the requirements of the companies and of the jobs of those persons to propose concrete, concrete. Yeah. Um, precise, not, not concrete like uh, cement mm-hmm. <laughs> measures, mm-hmm. but, but precise, yeah, measures, precise that, measures Yeah, that, that can help the employer to um, uh, put some measures in place in order to help those people come back mm-hmm. to work and be as productive as possible and uh, to damage their health as few as possible.
0: I have this question for you. What are the soft skills required? You know the hard skills I can imagine, but please, you know, mention a few in a short version. You know, don't get too long. And then soft skills.
1: Okay, so basically the hard skills you will learn toxicology. You will learn, uh, for example, industrial processes, exposure sciences. You will learn management. Types, uh, psychosocial risks. You will learn lots of things that are around, you know, your competence field. And then, for the soft skills, what is needed, as always, is people skills. Because the in Switzerland, at least, your the employer contracts you for mm-hmm. accompanying them and seeing their employees. So you need to manage a good contractual position with an, an employer. And you also need to be close to the employees. So uh, being able to be close to those two um, forces and uh, knowing where, where to find yourself in the middle of that is really important. Also, what I, what I always say uh, to, the, to the employees is, okay, your employer pays us as an institution, for example, of uh, occupational medicine, but the employer doesn't buy us which is a, a really good because, because sometimes especially when you have to check for medical fitness um people say yeah but you found something and i'm i'm sure that uh, my employer doesn't want old people or whatever and i talked about my my health problems so now they told you that i need to be checked in order to be expelled or whatever discrimination process but it's important to um, to say, yeah, it's no, there's a process here. I'm not your enemy. Your employer pays me. He's not buying me. Let's be as objective as possible. And uh, if there is something that we see, we'll. Uh, I'm, I'm not close to the employer. I'm not close to you. We need to manage that in the most objective way possible. So it's really difficult, I think. And you need really soft skills in that field, open-mindedness be really problem-solving oriented and uh, yeah that's but it's fascinating in either way so
0: (laughs) indeed it is victor thank you so much for being part of uh, my podcast and i wish you all the best for the rest thank you for having me Keep listening to my podcast. And if you want to be my next guest, send me an email at jobtalespodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. And remember, it is jobtales type T-A-L-E-S. Ciao for now.